The reading this morning can be found on page 1135 of the Pew Bibles. That's 1135. Otherwise, you'll find yourself if you follow the service order in Matthew, I think. It's taken from St. Paul's letter to the Romans, chapter 8, verses 18 to 27. That's page 1135, St. Paul's letter to the Romans, chapter 8, verses 18 to 27. Present suffering and future glory. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. For the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to this present time. Not only so, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. But hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And those he predestined, he also called. And those he called, he also justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. Here ends the reading. Thanks, Anthony, very much. Let's pray as we ask God to speak to us through the Bible this morning. Father, we, we simply pray now that as we turn to your word, the Bible, uh, that you would speak to each one of us for Jesus' sake. Amen. Well, I was away the first part of this week, and uh, while I was away, the seven directory was delivered. And at breakfast on Friday morning, I began leafing through it. And uh, in this uh, little freebie, I, uh, I read this. Edward Corringham Mick Manock born on the 24th of May 1887 at Preston Barracks in Brighton, although in truth there is some question over his birthplace, Manock was one of the greatest fighter aces of the First World War. 
awarded more medals for courage than any other British fighter pilot. The Military Cross twice, the Distinguished Service Order three times, and posthumously the Victoria Cross. His last flight was on the 26th of July 1918. After attacking a German plane, he followed it down and was hit by ground fire, his left wing detached, and he spiraled out of control. His body was never found. Or equally remarkable, Captain Theodore Wright, who was born at 119 Lansdowne Crescent in Hove. As a member of the Royal Engineers, he was part of the British Expeditionary Force that arrived in Mons on the 22nd of August 1914. The very next day, he was sent to supervise the destruction of eight bridges over a canal. Whilst connecting Leeds under Jemap Bridge, he was hit. Despite serious shrapnel wounds, he continued to set the charges and successfully destroyed the bridge. For this act of gallantry, he was awarded the Victoria Cross. Less than one month later, Captain Wright was killed, helping wounded men to shelter. Well, on a more personal level, here are two men. Neither of them were rewarded the Victoria Cross. Both of them survived. The guy on the left, the First World War. The guy on the right, the Second World War. That's my dad on the right and his dad on the left. My grandfather was uh, uh, involved in the First World War delivering um, supplies to the trenches. Uh, he knew what Siegfried Sassoon described as the stench of rotting corpses as he went to and fro, to and fro from the front line to where the supplies were. There he's in the Home Guard, Dad's Army. And that was taken in 1939, uh, just after my dad was called up. At least we think that's when it is. We only found, uh, came across this picture uh, a couple of weeks ago. Um, and if you're thinking my dad's wearing lipstick, no, he's not. Okay. <laughs> and, um, yeah, that's the two of them. But today, today, I'm rather proud of those two, my dad and my grandfather. They survived. And of course, today, we remember those who didn't, or those who survived and paid a horrendous price in terms of their injuries and so on. And as we all know, today is a particularly poignant day, because at 11 o'clock, as we all know, it'll be a 100 years to the minute when the guns fell silent on the Western Front. So we're going to turn to Romans chapter 8 and verses 18 to 25. There won't be time to dig deeply into this passage this morning, but let's note it's a passage which talks about our world. Our world with all its suffering and with all its pain and the separation of wars and conflict. And it talks about the future. And in summary, it says this, it is groaning and then glory. But today, on Remembrance Sunday, we're thinking, I suppose as we woke up this morning, as we're thinking of what will happen at 11 o'clock, of groaning. First World War, 9.7 million military deaths. 10 million civilian deaths. 
more than any previous conflict. It became known as the war to end all wars, didn't it? The Great War. They'd never seen anything like it in history. 886,342 died from the UK. 1.8 million from Germany. In France, the population was, is, was then uh, around about the same as that in the UK. The death toll was almost twice as high as ours. From the empire, 200,000 people died. A third of those 200,000 from India. And at the Chattery this morning, there will be uh, an act of remembrance up on the downs there. Uh, as they remember the Indian soldiers who had been brought to the Royal Pavilion in the First World War and died there, and they were cremated up at the Chattery, up on the Downs. Second World War was worse in terms of numbers. 55 million. Of those, 14 million were Russian troops. Nearly 300,000 French Half a million from the British and the Commonwealth forces. And of those vast numbers, we can say the numbers, but we have to remember, don't we, that every individual, every individual represents a family with a space at a table. Every individual represents a mother and a father with the deepest sadness in their lives, represents Loss and pain and emptiness represents a widow or orphan children, a world groaning. So our passage today is abundantly clear that, uh, well, there is groaning. We'll think of the glory in a bit. But there is groaning, and within that there are sufferings. And war, of course, is possibly the most intense Possibly the worst sufferings, the most wasteful with human suffering and on an unthinkable scale. You look in verse 18 here, it said, he says, I consider our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed to us. It recognizes the sufferings in the world. He was writing there in the early church and recognizing the persecutions of the early church. But he is also recognizing this is a world in which we live where there are enormous sufferings caused by human beings. But actually it's not just human beings who suffer because we're in a world gone awry. A world where it doesn't quite work properly anymore and it groans. And there will probably be many silent groans today as people remember loved ones at the cenotaph, at war memorials as they gather right now. There will be places of silent groaning and here too in many of our hearts. But in a world gone awry, it's not just human beings who groan. Because this passage tells us, actually, it is the whole of creation that groans. So you look in verse 20 or 22, the creation was subjected to frustration. That's everything, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it. And in verse 22, we know that the whole creation has been groaning, as in the pains of childbirth, right up to the present time. 
And this groaning is because this physical creation, this whole world in which we live, has been subjected to decay. Look at verse 21. And it's an unavoidable fact of life that in this world there is death and disease and suffering and agony and war and groaning. As someone said, in our world there is a symphony of size. And in our created world, in nature, natural disasters of hurricanes and earthquakes and volcanic eruptions, we live in a world subjected to decay. Yeah, there are good and beautiful things in this world. Of course there are. Wonderful landscapes, beautiful people, stunning creativity, much to enjoy. But it's a world which is a mixed place. So there are both smiles and suffering. There are both, there's both delight and death. There's celebration and cruelty. There's happiness and hurricanes. There's grins and groaning. There's wonder and there's war. And today, it's Remembrance Sunday. And we remember, as the Bible calls it, the groaning because of the suffering of war so in this world there is groaning there are sufferings but also there is hope there is hope in the groaning and in the sufferings and in this symphony of sighs there is clear hope now you would think with the groaning of our world and this bondage to decay that the groaning would be uh, a groaning of the world in its death throes but it's not Actually, the Bible tells us here that the groaning of the world in which we live is a groaning of birth pangs. Let's look at verse 22 again. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth. So the whole creation groans not because we're dying, but because we're in labor. That's the way to look at it. We're in labor for a better future. So you look at the end of verse 20 here. He talks about the hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. Now, the Christian gospel says this. Our world has gone awry. Human beings have rebelled against their own, our own creator. And we've been separated from God. Separated from God by, and it's our rebellion which separates us from God and also impacts our physical, our created world. But God sent His Son, Jesus Christ, to die for us, to resolve this problem of our rebellion against Him, and He stood in our place, and He died for us as He died on that cross, so that we might be children of God. Look at verse 19. And one day, He will return. And salvation will be complete in this world when there will be a new creation, a new heaven and a new earth. And when God's people will be living with their God as it was always meant to be in the first place. And we're so looking forward to that day. That will be our day. That is our hope. And that is our future. But we're not there yet. See, look at verses 24 and 25, for instance. For in this hope we were saved, but hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes what they already have? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. 
And that's what we do. So in the meantime, if we're Christians, we have the Spirit in our lives as a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come. So see in verse 23, we have the first fruits of the Spirit, and we groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. Now, there's too much for us to unpack here on Remembrance Sunday morning, but that is our future for Christians. That's what we look forward to. Not now, but when Jesus returns to this earth, there is hope. And it's very much like being in labor, which I recognize uh, doesn't immediately engage with at least 50% of us this morning. But, uh, uh, but you know what I mean? There are the pains of labor and the wonders that we're looking forward to. Though you have to get through the labor first. So at the moment we groan. And there are sufferings. And we remember today wars and the suffering of that. But also there is hope. So for instance, we sing this morning. You may think it's a slightly strange thing to sing this morning. But we don't sing because this, uh, uh, we're, we're singing about of our, um, because of the sufferings and so on, and we rejoice. No, no, of course not. The world is full of groaning and suffering. And so to sing about that would be perverse. But we sing because the future is glorious. We sing because the future is glorious. We groan because of the incompleteness of our salvation. We're not in heaven yet. But if we're Christians, we have a wonderful hope that will be that we'll be in heaven one day. And so third, there is sufferings, there is hope, and third, there is waiting. Look at verse nineteen. For the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. And the idea here is this, that say you went to, um, say you went to Windsor for Harry and Meghan's uh, wedding, and you're waiting for the procession there afterwards. And, uh, uh, and the idea here is this, that when you're, when you're waiting, if you were there, when you're waiting for the carriage procession, you will be looking down the road where they're going to be coming from. And as you look down the road, you're probably leaning forward and craning your neck slightly, and you're waiting for that first glimpse of the procession. You don't want to miss anything. You don't want to miss any of it. And so you're looking, you're aware, you're expecting them to turn up any moment, and your first glimpse of the bride and groom. That's what it's like in verse 19 here. Look at verse 19. For the creation waits in eager expectation. And that little phrase, eager expectation, is the leaning forward. It's the craning your neck, it's focusing on where they're going to be coming from. And it's the eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. That's what he's talking about, about Jesus' return, when this current world is going to be replaced with a new heaven and a new earth, perfect in every way. We don't yet have what we hope for. So we wait for it, eagerly, craning our necks, looking for when it will come. And uh, it won't be here before Jesus returns, by the way. So please don't believe uh, some churches which teach that all the benefits of heaven are here and now. We have a foretaste, of course we do, but not everything. Our salvation is incomplete. And we wait now with eager longing for Jesus to return and for our salvation to be finished, to be complete. 
So uh, we wait. As John Stott, great Christian leader at the end of the last century, said this, uh, we wait neither so eagerly that we lose patience, nor so patiently that we lose expectation, but eagerly and patiently together. So there is groaning. There is groaning because of the sufferings of our world. There is groaning because of the wars that we remember today. There is groaning with some of our memories as we remember loved ones. As we remember, you know, my grandfather, for instance, lost so many friends in the trenches in the First World War. That makes me groan today. The platoon that my dad was in, he spent most of his war in North Africa and in Palestine. One day he had a terrible nosebleed and I had to take him off to hospital to get it cauterized. While he was there, the rest of his platoon left on a mission in the Royal Engineers. He was an engineer too. And every single person in my dad's platoon was killed. A nosebleed saved his life. I groan for those men in his platoon. So today there is groaning. And there are sufferings. But we hope. And we wait. A waiting which is eager and patient. Today is a day for groaning. But also, let's not forget the glory that is to come. Groaning, then glory. This passage takes men and women mired in a maze of incomprehensible suffering. And it lifts them up to see the future. A glorious future. A glorious future for all God's people. It's going to be a great reversal. A great reversal of creation as the groaning is replaced by glory. As the groaning of our creation, which is longing for this to happen, longing for Jesus to return, longing for this world in which we live to be replaced by the new creation, the new heaven and the new earth. And the whole of our creation is groaning for that day, longing for it to come and groaning for it to come. And in verse 18, look at this, the second word, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. The word consider there means he's thought about it. It means he's pondered it. it means he's picked it up and examined it means he's worked it through in his mind and he's come to a considered conclusion. And he says, if you compare this age, this eon, this world in which we live now, with the age to come, you cannot actually compare them. You can't do it. Because the difference is so huge and so immense that you cannot compare now and the glorious future that we look forward to. You cannot compare the groaning with the glory, is what he's saying. You cannot compare the two. Look at verse 18 again. I consider, I thought about this, I've worked this through in my mind, that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. 
saying that if you know where you're heading, either when you die or when Jesus returns, if you know for certain where you're going and you understand a fraction of what it will be like, then you wouldn't even entertain the idea that your current suffering isn't worth it. Now, he's thinking particularly, of course, of Christians being persecuted in the early church, the difficulties and the struggles of life now. And we all have difficulties and struggles in life now. But what he's saying is, if you're struggling, if you're finding life hard today, if you're finding today hard, then actually there will be a day when Jesus returns when the glory and the wonder of that day will absolutely overwhelm us as Jesus returns to this world. The coming glory will be so blindingly powerful, it will envelop the whole of creation and will bring creation along with us to glory, to a renewed, a restored, and a redeemed reality. A reality that will be revealed to us We will see it if we're Christians. We will be there. We will marvel with all the marveling you never thought you were capable of. But even more extraordinary, it will be revealed in us. You see at the end of verse 18, with the glory that will be revealed in us, we will be changed by his glory into his glory. So C.S. Lewis was able to write this in his book, Mere Christianity. God will change the feeblest and filthiest of us into a god or goddess, small g's, a dazzling, radiant, immortal creature, pulsating all through with such energy and joy and wisdom and love as we cannot now imagine, a bright, stainless mirror which reflects back to God perfectly, though, of course, on a smaller scale, his own boundless power and delight and goodness. The process here will be long and in parts very painful. But that is what we're in for. Nothing less. He meant what he said. Today, let's remember... C.S. Lewis, and let's remember, it is groaning, and we do groan, and there is glory, and for all those who are gods, that will be an inestimable joy. Let's pray together.